on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mike Janella Show. I am Mike, obviously. You know that. This is my 46th podcast episode. Hopefully it won't be my last. Joining me this week, we are going coast to coast. I'm here in New York. She's out in Southern California. It is TV personality extraordinaire. I don't even know how to describe you because you do so many amazing different things, but the one and only Julie Alexandria. What's up? What's up? Congratulations on number 46. That is incredible. Yeah, I know. A very nice round number for you to be on the show. Uh, maybe we should have saved you for 50, but I might do like a clip show or a highlights or something like that when we get to there. But congrats on being my 46. Thank you. It's, it's an absolute honor. Mike. Thank you. <laughs> well, you flatter me so. Well, Julie, we've got a lot to talk about because uh, you have one of the most interesting careers and tracks of anyone I've ever come across. And I know a lot of people definitely want to hear a lot about what you have to say. But we do start to show off on a good foot with everyone. I want to find out what is Julie. I ask everyone this question to kick things off. The best thing that's happened to you in the last week. It could be anything, personal, professional, you name it. What's the best thing that happened to you in the last seven days? You know what? I would have to go with just last night. I got to see one of my favorite bands of all time, ever, 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 the amazing, the illustrious Red Hot Chili Peppers play live in San Diego at the Valley View Casino Center. Absolutely incredible show. That's awesome. Anthony Kiedis was on fire. Lee was on fire. I mean, I remember these guys from... Middle school, I used to listen to them all the way back, way back then. And they were incredible. Just one of the best concerts I think I've ever seen. It was great. Wow. Uh, new stuff, the hits, a mix of both. What were we dealing with here? You know what? It was like everything you wanted them to play, they played. From Give It Away to Californication, Under the Bridge. I mean, everything. Like, just, it was it was fantastic. It was a little mix of the old stuff, of the classics, and some of the just their greatest hits. It was awesome. Man, it's all you can ask for. My personal favorite Zephyr song. Did they play that? They did. Oh, of yes. That's People my had jam. Their arms up. <laughs> oh, so good. Of course. Well, that's a good highlight. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoy it. And now, while well, you've come off of that high to doing the Mike Janella show. So, my how times quickly change. Um, uh, all right, you Julie. Know. Um, so this time, this time last year, you and I were both uh, in Peoria, Arizona for, for spring training. Now you and I are both no longer there. I do have to ask you, every, a lot of people who are listening to this, I'm sure, know either you or me or both of us from our time with uh, the Padres last year. But uh, everyone kind of knows my story, uh, why I'm not there anymore. Uh, but what, uh, what, was, uh, what was the issue uh, with you, or not the issue, I guess, what made that decision happen to, to not go back to the Padres this year, just to start you off uh, finding out why things were different now than they were then. Yeah, it, well, it certainly wasn't an issue. I mean, I had, just to preface this, I had a an amazing, amazing time working for that team. And I'm not just saying that, you know, to placate anyone. I mean, the team members, the players were incredible. They were probably my favorite part of covering the team was just the players themselves. And what could be more amazing than covering baseball in Southern California in America's finest city? Like seriously. I'm there with you. Yeah. I mean, you and I lived it together. I'm with you. Yeah. If you're going to do 152 out of 162, you might as well have sunshine (laughs) 90% of the time. Um, But no, you know, honestly, my camp and their camp just could not come to terms. Um, you know, in the off season. And so it resulted in us parting ways, but no hard feelings. It had nothing to do with personalities or anything like that. It was um, purely a financial decision. And I kind of took stock of my experience and just sort of what I want to pursue and the direction I want to go. And as I'm sure we'll get into this, my goal was never to be Aaron Andrews. So there's definitely a lot more that I want to explore. There's a lot more I want to accomplish. And I don't know that I could do that if I was um, tied down for another eight months, basically, um, doing another season of baseball. So it's time to move on. And I had an amazing, amazing time in San Diego. I'm continuing to stay here in San Diego. Yeah, I was going to say, you're not working for the Padres, but you're still living there. You just you fell in love with the city that much, I guess. I, I can't blame you, but you're still actually there. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I decided to stay. I mean, it's it's beautiful. The weather. I mean, I know we've mentioned it probably like four times already, <laughs> but like as a New Yorker, like the weather's a big deal, especially right now. Like we're you know February, March, where it's just getting to be nice, but then the weather breaks your heart with like a snowstorm around St. Patrick's Day, and you're like, what is this? So you know, I was just sick and tired of being cold. I still have my apartment in New York City, but my parents live in Orange County. I was raised basically in Orange County, California. So they're only an hour away and it's nice to be close to them and kind of get to know your parents as an adult, which is a strange and interesting sort of journey in its own right. So I made the decision to stay and to be warm, especially during this time. But, uh, but I will be back and forth um, working on various projects. So but Trust I'm here. Me, I'm around. Looking out my window right now as we're recording this, and I still see the snow piles. Even after three straight days of 50 degrees, there are still these three-foot snow piles uh, from the blizzard we had last week. So I'm very envious of you uh, where you are right now. So you made the right choice, I think. Um, <laughs> Seriously. So you, you mentioned that you still do have your, your place here in New York. So you're, you're pretty much bi-coastal now. And anyone who follows you on social media will see that. You kind of pop up. You're on the Lower East Side one day. Then you're at a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert in San Diego the next. <laughs> kind of back and forth. Uh, seems glamorous. Like that's the kind of life that everyone envisions. You know, the jet-setting, coast-to-coast person. Is it what it seems or is it tough? I mean, how are you finding that just taking a personal toll on you? Or is it not? Well, you know, that's almost like a personal dream realized because I've always wanted to be bi-coastal. I never wanted to ever have to choose. I was born in New York, lived there until I was five. Then my parents moved out to Orange County and basically went from grade school, middle school, high school to college. I went to Cal State Long Beach out here on the West Coast. And the minute school was over, I went right back to New York City. And I just really wanted that you know, hustle and bustle of that New York lifestyle. But as you do your 10 years in New York City, you kind of miss the comfort of the West Coast. And anyone who is brought up out here on the West Coast will, you know, will understand that. I mean, it's life is beautiful here at the beach. And, you know, that was hard to give up. Um, so the bi-coastal thing, that's something that I've always wanted for myself. It's something I always envisioned. And now I really got that opportunity. I mean, the whole reason I took the Padres job in the first place, everybody, all of my New York friends would always say, don't you want to go back to California? Don't you want to go back? And I said, you know, I'll go back if I'm invited back, Mm. meaning a job, meaning a paycheck. I'm not just going to pack my bags and say, okay, New York, I'm done. I'm going to go out to the West Coast and just, you know, set up shop and start auditioning and, you know, put my demos out there. I was like, no, I can only come back if I'm invited. And the Padres was that invitation that I had been waiting for. And so I came out for that. And, and now I've been able to realize my dream of working on both coasts and having property on both and, and being able to, to go back and forth. But no, the, um, the best flight, I, I, I have the, the flight down to a science, by the way. <laughs> JetBlue is basically my best friend. I pretty much live on that airline. And if I take the red eye on a, during the week, on like, you know, a weekday, and I do the red eye, it's only about four and a half hours. Get to New York, hit the ground running. You don't waste any time. And then you take about the 4 p.m. flight back to the West Coast, and then you're there in time for dinner. So it's perfect. You've got it all mapped out. That's the life yeah. of the bi-coastal uh, jet setter. Leads us to our first Twitter question. And I got a lot of good ones for you uh, that came in from some fans, Julie, when I put this out there. Uh, the first one from uh, Padres Jagoff, which is a name I can say on this show now because we are not family friendly. We do have the explicit rating on iTunes. Uh, he wants to know, <laughs> do you, with all the traveling you do and that you've done through the course of your career, do you dabble into that whole, you know, miles, credit cards? Do you have the JetBlue American Express card or whatever? Like, do you take advantage of this all or is just let me focus on the traveling and not worry about all these perks and these benefits i do have the JetBlue credit card it's great gets me my miles but i don't have as many miles as i think a lot of people might think because for a lot of these jobs the network ends up booking your travel so you don't really get to acquire or benefit from the points so i did college football for years but i was working for big 10 network or sports illustrated or fox And they take care of all the travel, which is great, but you also don't get the benefit of the points. And then, of course, in terms of baseball, when I was working for the Washington Nationals and then, of course, the San Diego Padres, um, they have their own team planes. 
So yeah, you're not getting miles on the charter. <laughs> you're not getting you're not getting miles on the charter, which is so funny because people actually ask me that, and I'm like, is that a real question, really? No, um, it right. is a team charter. We do not get miles, the fr- but we the, do get unlimited the f- Chick-fil-A. Yeah, the food and the drinks and all that stuff is enough. The, the miles, are, you know, you, you yeah. can do okay without them. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it used to be a lot easier. It would be whoever could fly would get the miles no matter who paid for it. But, yeah, they started cracking down on that, those those airlines just pinching us for every penny. But um, So so you're staying in San Diego. Are you going to go to any Padres games as a fan? Or are you going to hang out? I saw you were at the WBC. I think I saw an Instagram post or, or a Twitter post or something. Are you going to still check out some baseball games, or will that not be maybe in your schedule? Absolutely. I'm still okay. going to go. Good, I will good. definitely, definitely be there. I – is that going to be weird? I like love, people recognizing you in the in, in in the sun deck instead of you know in the foxwell? I listen. Being able to go and enjoy a baseball game as a fan is an amazing luxury to me, and it's fun. I mean, it's like there's no pressure. You don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to worry about oh, gotta get all my notes together and do. All, I mean, you can just relax and enjoy it for what it is, and that would be a really nice change. I'm actually really looking forward to that. And I was just at the WBC. That was incredible. It looked amazing. My God. looked amazing. That is the way. But did you hear any of the video? Like, did you get to see the crowd? There was a marching band. (laughs) Okay. There was a marching band that was, like, kind of snaking through the stands, cheering on the DR, the Dominican Republic team. And it was electric. It was amazing. And it was awesome to see that at Petco. Yeah, that baseball at all. I mean, you watch, you know, Japanese league games uh, throughout the years, Caribbean series games. It is a completely yeah. different animal than going to totally. a game in Milwaukee or even even New York or Boston. It's it's a different energy. So to see that transplanted to venues that we're familiar with, but atmospheres that we're not, it's great. It's like college basketball comes to baseball. It's it's yeah. amazing. I, I was just gonna say, like college football. I mean, you have that kind of energy in the stands. It's infectious. It's all around you. People just, I mean, waiting on every pitch. Everyone is involved. Everyone is engaged. The only thing I could compare it to was being at games in San Francisco at the Giants. I mean, they, their fans, you know, get a little rowdy sometimes, and that's a lot of fun. But other than that, I mean, baseball just needs some life. I mean, I come from the, I subscribe to the Bryce Harper school of baseball, which is make baseball fun again. Yeah. Hair and flips and bat flips. Yeah. Make, make it happen. Run till they tag you. I mean, just keep going. You can celebrate. It's okay. I, I think baseball may need a little bit of life breathed into it, but I mean, every four years is just not enough with the WBC, but what a fun experience. I'd never been to um, a WBC game live and, and just, I really, really, really enjoyed it. It was awesome. You know, the, any Padres fans listening are going to be upset that you mentioned the Giants as a standard bearer for fan behavior, but we'll move past that quickly. I, I mean, I'm just being honest, though. I mean, their <laughs> fans yeah. are thoroughly engaged. They are incredibly effusive and, and they're fun. And not to say that other teams' fans aren't. I mean, Nationals fans, super fun. But I would say in terms of what we're talking about as far as, you know, fans being energetic and waiting on every pitch and just being right there with the team and just having their chants and having their costumes and all of that, um, RIP Panda. But, like, they yeah. just were so, so engaged. I mean, that's really the most that I've ever seen as far as being in the stands and, and being on that side. But... No, no offense to any other team's fans, of course. So none in particular, no. Um, that leads me to our, another reader question, another tweeter question, I guess, from Padres Geekster. She wanted to know, obviously, you're a baseball, you're a fan still. It's not like you just follow the sport because you were getting a paycheck uh, through these years. Right. So she wants to know, where, where does this interest come from? What are some of your early baseball memories? What got you into this sport? Because as you've mentioned, and as you know, a lot of us have said on the record, maybe it is a bit of a boring sport. It's not something our generation maybe seems to uh, trend to that much, but here you and I are still big fans of it. So what got you involved? You know, my dad was probably my biggest baseball influence. He um, is the biggest baseball fan I know. He's a big Brooklyn Dodgers fan going way back and then became an Angels fan being in Orange County, being a transplant because he could never in his heart find it to root for the Dodgers once they had moved west. Mm. But I grew up going to Dodger games, Angels games out here on the West Coast, and he's the one that really instilled 
sort of just the myths and, and just all of that encompasses the game. And so my brother and I grew up going to a bunch of games. And then I went to Cal State Long Beach, which, of course, the dirtbags, come on. We have baseball culture <laughs> all over campus. And uh, and more major leaguers, current active roster players than any other college. Fun fact. Sorry about it, Fullerton. Sorry about it, Fullerton. It's a big rivalry. It's a big rivalry. I've seen Justin Turner and I always argue about it, and Chris Suzuki as well, <laughs> because they both went to Fullerton. But dirtbags, we got <laughs> Not it. Not many people can um, say they're in a personal rivalry with Kurt Suzuki, but there you go. I know. <laughs> or Justin Turner, but, you know, it's. Congratulations, Justin, on your on your new contract. Very nice. Um, yeah, he's a big listener of the show, so I'm sure he's going to hear that. I know. <laughs> I just had to put it out there just in case. We'll we'll add him on Twitter so he can listen to the link. Perfect. So that's how you got. So that's how you get to it, and obviously you're able to make it into a career, uh, which is great. And you've mentioned uh, the Washington Nationals, so you work for them. Uh, the Padres, obviously, most recently did some work with the Mets as well. And we'll talk about your non-sports stuff because that's, I think, a very cool part of your career track as well. But uh, just to put a bow on baseball, I guess of those three jobs, give me. What was the best and the most, I won't say worst, because that has a bad implication or a connotation, but what's the best and what was the most frustrating or most challenging aspect of each of those gigs for those three different teams? Mm. Oh, the best part. I mean, so, there, I have so many wonderful memories from, from each different experience. Um, the best part would have to be just, just the games in general, the, the fair weather games, <laughs> the good games. <laughs> When when it's a when it's a beautiful night and you know the guys are playing under the lights and and a close game a well played game a good game and that's exciting always the personalities getting to know the players um, on and off the field and kind of getting to know what makes them tick as human beings as well as you know who they are and their personalities and their and just their play style and everything and and just getting to to know the personnel and everyone i think the worst part not the worst part but it's the most challenging part as you said um is just the grind i mean the schedule it's grueling and it's something that my dad who obviously is my my baseball monsignor um really it is the grind and he said when i got the job for the first time doing um in-game field reporting for the nationals he said he's like i don't know if you want to take that job it is a grind it is going to kill you you are going to be so over it by the end and and it is i mean when especially when you're dealing with a team that's struggling it is rough man and you're on you know the team's on like a five loss skid i mean it's it's pretty bad. Hey, you don't, um, you don't got to tell me. I had to put an hour on TV seven days a week last year. I didn't have to travel, so at least that was my saving grace. But, yeah, I can't imagine being you waiting for bags at 3 in the morning on a return flight uh, from a 2-8 and eight road trip. Uh, I, I can yeah, empathize that, for sure. Yeah, I, I think that is – it's just the schedule. I mean, getting into a place – I think it was – we were traveling to Pittsburgh. And, no, we were going from Pittsburgh to New York over the summer this past year and the flight was, we had bad weather in pit and we were grounded for like four hours. And of course I had these grand plans that once we get to New York, I was going to visit my friends and see everyone. And of course we didn't end up getting in so, so much, so much later. And then you have to wait for the bags and you're exhausted in the time. Not that there was a time change in with those two cities, but in general, the time change just sometimes you wake up in a hotel room. And you're like, I don't even know what, what, city I'm in and especially on some of those like 21 day game like in a row I mean that's just like oh it's tough which it's people tough for think- sure. having four days off a month is it's like tough. when it's you tough. explain it that way to people you have four days off a month and they are they are not your choice of days so right. it's uh, yeah it's Rob, it's Rob Manford and- uh, his choice in terms of when you right. don't have to work in the middle of July exactly and it will only be a Monday or a Thursday. So your your dreams of having a weekend off, sorry. Yeah, you want to work in baseball, that's the price you do have to pay. Um, so yeah. let's try this. So say, let's play a hypothetical here. Say I, I'm offering you this the, the perfect sideline gig for a, a made-up team, and you could pick one great thing about your favorite thing from covering the Nationals, covering the Mets, and covering the Padres. You get to pick one thing from each of those experiences that I get to create this fictional team in a fictional location and a fictional job. What would sort of be the best 
aspect of all those you would pick to make your dream sideline gig? It's a very convoluted question. <laughs> this is a very convoluted show. <laughs> wow, that was deep. That was deep. I mean, you, you talking about like what what is the best part of of all of those? Yeah, I guess. Like, so, like, for, for me, I would imagine, like, okay, I would take uh, the weather of the home team being in San Diego, the exposure of the media market in New York, uh, and having a player, like, of Bryce Harper's caliber in the Nationals. That would be, put all those three together, and that would be, like, a, a dream gig. So, what would the three be for oh, you, okay. respectively? Got it. Okay, well, I would say uh, Petco Park, the stadium. I, I do honestly believe, and I agree with our good friend, Ted Berg, from Teddy, yeah. who ranked who ranked all of the ballparks. And, of course, Petco got number one, and I absolutely agree with that. I think Petco Park is the most beautiful and and friendly, fan-friendly, interesting, full of good food, full of cool stuff. I mean, you don't even have to be a baseball fan to enjoy a night at Petco Park. It is absolutely fantastic. I would take Petco Park any day over any other stadium Except for maybe Wrigley Field, but that's a historical stadium. If, yeah, you're there um, for like the museum take... aspect as opposed to the actual yeah. stadium itself. Exactly, and... as opposed to the experience. Yes, experientially, I will take Petco over any other park, hands down. And by the way, um, shameless plug, Ted Berg was guest on episode number 37 of the Mike Janela Show, so make sure you download and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher to listen to that episode. Back to you, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good plug. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> By the way, just as a side note, did you get to talk to Ted Berg about his obsession with Taco Bell? Yes, it's a, it's a mutual obsession, so I admire him for it. And the fact that he's been able to get so much national recognition for it, I, I, I'm very envious. But yeah, we had some good Taco Bell talk. <laughs> it's disgusting. Uh, I love you both. It's disgusting. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, move on, because I could spend 20 minutes on this defending Taco Bell, but we're going to move on. Yeah, back, back, to, back to you. <laughs> Although, 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 I could go for a Mexican pizza, not going to lie, if I want to get all nostalgic for, like, middle school. Uh, honestly, okay. one of the few menu items I've never had at Taco Bell. I've never even had the Mexican oh pizza. Oh, my God, are you kidding me? I know. You, go, go out right now. I'll hold. I'll wait. <laughs> you go out and get a Mexican pizza. <laughs> It's awesome. We'll wait till after the show. We don't want to leave you in okay. suspense. Yeah. Um, all right. All right. So we're way off track, but leaving Taco Bell sorry, aside. Sorry, so Petco right. Park itself, that's what you take from San Diego. What about the other gigs, uh, baseball gigs you've had? Yes. My dream team would play at Petco Park. Um, as far as New York, I would say, oh, gosh, I mean, New York, New York, you can't beat it. I mean, there's an energy. There is an attitude. There is just a swagger that New York has. Sorry, everywhere else. But if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. And they don't say that about anywhere else. So got to go with the energy and the swagger and the attitude of New York City. And as you said, the media exposure as well, because you can go out on the street and guaranteed there are fans. I would say mostly everyone had watched the game the night before. Mostly Mm -hmm. everyone could tell you the score. So I would say the fan involvement and just the overall cognizant, cognitive experience of New York, okay. thinking fans, smart fans. Um, and then for Washington, man, Washington was like working for that team and, and working for, for that front office and working for those fans. They were like the up-and-comers. Like it, it's almost like baseball 2.0. They made it so interesting it had a young fresh vibe to it I just enjoyed the personalities Jason Worth is my all-time favorite player that I've ever met Bryce Harper is obviously in my opinion one of the most fun players to watch I just had such a good time working with those guys so I would say the personalities um, from Washington I'll take those guys I mean Danny Espinosa I went to college with him at Cal State Long Beach he is one of my good friends Absolutely phenomenal. They are so lucky to have Daniel Murphy, who is, in my opinion, one of the best baseball minds that I've ever met, um, as far as acquiring him from the Mets. But he uh, he's just absolutely incredible, especially the postseason. Are you kidding? Mm-hmm. Um, so that team, I just – and Max Scherzer, of course, who is just such a gentleman. Um, awesome, awesome guys. So I would go with, with the personalities and, and the players from Washington. All right. And there is the dream baseball sideline team for Julie Alexandria, should it ever exist in some field of dreams scenario. <laughs> um, let's, let's transition now. We'll get away from baseball a little bit because you are much more than that. Uh, you and I actually first met 
Uh, we, no, we didn't first meet. We met at a Mets game first, but then later met at uh, MTV Rockin' New Year's Eve. You've done uh, Wendy Williams so many appearances on that show. Uh, you had your own show for OK TV, a lot of entertainment, stuff like that. So when people, and it's not only just, you know, I mean, you host, you report, you're a guest, uh, you, you do voiceovers too. We haven't even talked about that before. It's, it's kind of hard to characterize you. So when, you, when people ask you, what do you do? Who are you professionally? How, how do you describe it? Oh, depends on who I'm talking to and it depends on like their level of like how much they know about the industry. Mm. Um, cause there are so many levels to it. Um, but I would say that I'm an on-air personality and that I am a TV host and correspondent. Um, correspondent's so a very I mean, good word. Yeah. A lot of people don't use that yeah. enough. It's a good catch all. Mm-hmm. It is. And I mean, I, I continue. I'm currently still a correspondent for the Wendy Williams show. So whenever I go back to New York, I'll do tape a couple of episodes um, with her and, and on that show, which is so much fun. And it's live, which is amazing. And the whole live studio audience thing is <laughs> It's energy. Is yeah, you feed off it. It's great. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, but a lot of people don't know this, that I actually have a stage and theater theatrical background. Well, my friends who know me know that because I'm super dramatic. But um, I mean, I went to school for theater. I did musical theater. I worked professionally from middle school, high school and college. And then I toured with a couple of different productions. And that's really why I wanted to move back to New York was to be on Broadway. That was the whole reason that I mean, I went to Cal State Long Beach, did my my theater training there. But I just wanted to be on Broadway. I wanted to be under the lights. And I wanted to be performing. And I did a lot of Shakespeare. I did a lot of musical theater. And then that transitioned into doing more commercial work and doing TV commercials and voiceovers, which led to hosting. And that started out as the entertainment host, which then eventually led to sports as the industry began to change. And women became more prominent in sports broadcasting. And all of a sudden, you saw women on the sidelines, which if you think about it, I mean, it seems commonplace now. We see Erin Andrews, we see Michelle Tafoya, we see, you know, these wonderful women doing their thing. But 15 years ago, not so common. And and so now it's it has become such a trend. But I was sort of coming in on that in the early stages when that was sort of becoming, you know, different networks and entities wanted women. It was encouraged. And so that was that was obviously a lot of fun back in the day. Yeah, sometimes it's timing more than anything, right? Because I, I think yeah. obviously you've had enough positions that so many I mean, it could be women and men. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, just looking at some of the higher-profile gigs you've had in sports alone, and people who would kill for that and have wanted that since they were a kid, but they've kind of maybe missed that initial wave where you had that great timing. That even though that wasn't maybe your initial track or path or desire, that when the opportunity came and you could put yourself into that, that you were able to take advantage of it. Um, was there any? I guess any specific moment or action or something you did that you think made that work out for you? Or was it really just you caught it at the right place at the right time, the way the industry was going? I think right place at the right time. I mean, and as I mentioned, I mean, I never set out to do this. I sort of fell into sports reporting as a career. Um, I was always a sports fan, but people will ask me, well, where's your, you know, journalism degree from, or where's your sports broadcasting degree from? And, and I, I never went to school for this. It's from the streets. So, That's what you tell them from, from experience. Yo, it's from New York. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. The Puerto Rican Jew from Queens, she knows what's up. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I just, I kind of just fell into it. And I think a big boost for me was doing my first job in the sort of realm of sports, which was a sports trivia game show called Beer Money on SNY on Sportsnet New York, which I co-hosted with Chris Carlin, who is now a, a radio host in Philly. Um, but at the time, he was um, one of their hosts, and he did a bunch of different shows. And so I went out there, and, and I we filmed this season, and it was a sports trivia game show where you basically go up to fans, sports fans in bars or at the stadium, and you ask them questions almost like a cash cab you know they have to wager the money and we didn't even know like if people were going to watch this or if it was going to be good and it turned out to be a huge hit and got nominated for like three emmys and it, it was it was a huge one of the most popular shows on the network on sny and 
so after that, they said, well, we'd like to keep you on the network. Would you like to do the magazine show for the team? And so I ended up doing that for two years, covering the Mets um, with Kevin Burkhardt as he was doing sideline, or rather in-game field reporting for them before he went over to Fox. And, and that was an incredible experience, just sort of learning the ins and outs. And so I really learned on the job. I mean, there was nobody there to teach me. I, I really had no schooling in this. Um, I came at it the way I always approach it is I'm a curious fan. What would I want to know? So if I'm sitting here watching this game, what do I want to know from these guys? What, what am I seeing that the fans are seeing as well that we want to talk about? And what are the stories that we should be telling? And, and that was really the most interesting part of all of this for me was, was finding those those little ties, those connections, those friendships, those interpersonal interactions, and, and those stories of just how these players became who they are. And so that's always how I approached it. But whenever someone asks me, well, how did you get into it? Because I get asked all the time, like, can you give me some advice? And I'm like, I'm the last person to give anyone advice <laughs> on this. My path to doing sideline and sports reporting in general is so unorthodox and so different. So I, I would never tell anyone to go get a theater degree at a Cal, Cal State school and then move somewhere else and, and become a sports reporter for the Mets. But, you know, everyone has their own their own way of, of making it happen. But that's just that's my story. Yeah, no. And it's uh, and I'm sure for some people and I get it sometimes, too, to a much lesser degree than you, I'm sure. But people, they do get frustrated when it's like, oh, well, how did you get that? And it's like, I don't know. I just I knew this person and it worked out and, and there's it's not replicable sometimes. And I get it. And I, I hear that from people on the other side. I've asked people who have been in places that I want to be, well, how'd you get there? And a lot of it is similar to what you just explained. And sometimes it's tough, but uh, yeah, there, there is no cookie cutter. And anyone who tries to do that will oftentimes find themselves on the outside looking in, if you ask me. Um, here's a question, though, maybe you will be able to ask. Uh, this is from Friar Girl, another one of our Twitter questions. Uh, so once you got into the industry, she wants to know if you have any advice, if not for how to start your track, how uh, for a woman to strive to succeed in a male-driven profession. Because as you say, this has been changing a lot recently, but sports media has for ages been a, a male-driven industry. So do you have any advice for once you got on the inside, how being a female, or maybe it doesn't even matter at all, how did you strive and succeed as much as you have in a profession that maybe wasn't so kind to women for the last 60, 70 years? Hmm. That's a, that's a loaded question. Um, I would say learning how to maneuver, learning how to maneuver and being incredibly self-aware. You have to be aware of how your actions come off as a female. You are in the minority when it comes to group situations professionally, when you do work in sports, because more oftentimes than not, if you're not covering the WNBA, you will be probably maybe one of four, if not less, females traveling with the team, in the clubhouse, um, in the post-game conference room, et cetera, et cetera. So really understanding how you come off and being self-aware. Don't dress provocatively. You're only going to incur something negative. I guarantee it. Don't flirt with players. You will only get a bad reputation. Don't date players. Be sure to keep it professional. And if you keep it professional, they will treat you as such. If you set a standard of how you want to be treated, you will be treated, like I said, as such. I mean, I get asked all the time, well, do the guys hit on you? No, they don't. I get asked all the time, well, do they ask you out? You know, I've never been asked out by a player. Hmm. Because the way I conduct myself in the clubhouse as a professional would give them no reason to think for any minute, I don't care how much swagger you have and how much money you make, would give them no reason to ever propose that sort of question to me. Now, they may say whatever they want behind my back as, you know, they're guys and guys will be guys, right? Sure. And I'm not to say that when a female, and I've noticed this because I've been on both sides, but when a, when a female walks into the club, I'm sure the guys are going to look. But doing your best to keep a professional, you get in, you get out. You don't hang out in the clubhouse. You don't chit-chat and do that. As long as you act like a professional, you will be treated as such, and people will treat you the way you allow them to treat you. 
beautifully summed up. I could not put it any better myself. Um, so, Julie, now talking about what, what you do have coming up next, uh, last Twitter question here, because a lot of these people are asking questions that I was going to ask you anyway, so I'm happy that they're kind of doing my job for me. Uh, this from Jeremy Tony, who wants to know, are we going to talk about your future endeavors? Uh, we've kind of alluded to it a little bit, and you mentioned how you have all these other opportunities you want to pursue. Uh, so specifically, anything you, can you mention anything that you're working at or toward or what people can expect to see you doing now that you have uh, this extra initiative and direction away from baseball? Well, um, currently I'm working on a few different voiceover campaigns. So you can hear my voice if you're watching TV. I'm doing a couple um, products right now. And actually just, I, I couldn't, well, I'm not really supposed to talk, I'm not at liberty to talk about this campaign because it's not out yet. But um, I just finished recording when I was back in New York um, a new campaign initiative with a very famous basketball player mm. who plays in Northern California, whose last name rhymes with Murray. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so if you I can't figure it out that. from that, then uh, you don't deserve to be listening <laughs> to this show. Uh, that's, that's good. Great. That's a little Mike Janello show scoop. I like that. Uh, yeah, so that'll uh, that'll be rolled out uh, during the NBA Finals, which oh, awesome. uh, should be very exciting. So, just finish that, and uh, yeah, and then just collecting those residual checks. It's <laughs> 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 awesome. Um, but no, uh, I'm actually working on. You know, one of the other things that I wanted to pursue and, and that I've always wanted to do is you know, now that I've obviously paid my dues and I've worked for a lot of different producers and production companies and networks, I would really like to do my own thing and have some creative control because I think that's something that as hosts and as uh, quote unquote on air talent, I guess you could call us, that we really give up um, depending on who we're working for and, and what market we're working in. So that's something that I would really like to regain. Mm -hmm. um, that's something that I would like to take control of. It's something that, I mean, that you're doing right now with, with your podcast. I mean, you're regaining that control. And I think that's a very empowering place to be is putting out your own content, but also being able to collaborate with the people you want to collaborate with. And I mean, I'm sure you can attest to this, being able to do the work you love with the people that you actually want to work with is an incredible thing. And and just something that doesn't always happen. You don't always get that opportunity. So I'm really looking forward to that. It, uh, speaking from experience, doesn't always pay the best doing it your own way, but uh, it does make the – it pays you in other ways, exactly, and being able to enjoy what you're doing a lot more. Um, all right, Julie, we we're going to get to our last couple segments here, but uh, last question from the body of the show. Of all the gigs you've had, all the roles, uh, sideline, voiceover, corresponding, hosting, football, baseball, anything, was there ever – do you have a favorite? Is it, is it able to pick one, or is it like a mom with picking a favorite kid? Yeah, I'm going to go full-on mom mode. I mean, they're, they're all so special and so damn cool in their own way um, and challenging. Um, I would, I would say that working for the Padres was one of the more challenging jobs that I've ever had, but in a good way, mm. because you have to, you know, listen, it's no secret. I mean, the, it was sometimes tough to watch last season, but your job, and as you know, as an on-air correspondent, is to make it interesting, is to make it fun and to make it fresh. And especially when, you know, when you're doing eight shows a week, which is the Broadway schedule, and that was sort of my rebuttal to backtrack when my dad uh, was like, oh, the grind of baseball. The grind. You know, nothing prepares you for the grind of baseball like a Broadway schedule. You know, I think when that's you've the got first the time I've ever heard anybody compare the two, but it makes a lot I of know, sense. <laughs> it's true when you're doing, I mean, for all intents and purposes, you are doing the same show. Sure, it has a different outcome each time when it comes to baseball, but and hopefully not for the theater. But when you're doing the same thing, the challenge is, and every every stage actor will tell you this: the challenge is how do you make it interesting and fresh and engaging every night, right? Yeah. So that is that is the challenge, and and so I was faced with that, obviously uh, working for the Padres, and of course working for the Nationals. How do you make it interesting? You know, the dog days of summer. <laughs> <laughs> as you said, you come back from a losing road trip, it's like, all right, pick yourself up because you got a homestand, you got to kick it off right. And 
and and you got to get the crowd behind you. So, so I think in that respect, um, you know, baseball is definitely one of my favorites. But but to answer your question, I mean, gosh, I, I love it all. The voiceover stuff. There's nothing like going to work in your pajamas, and then you the benefits <laughs> when you get preach. that mail candy, right? Right. And you get that mail candy. You open your mailbox, and it's like, hey, there's a check. It may be for twenty bucks. It may be for two thousand dollars. It may be for two cents. You don't know. But you open it up, and and it's always fun. So, yeah, I mean, it's what is that line from uh, from Wedding Crashers? It's all deadly. Yeah, it's all no, deadly. That's right. Is that is yeah? That wedding that's crashers? in there. Yeah, that's Wedding the, Crashers. Oh, yep. Right. Oh my god, I was right. It's all deadly. It's all deadly. Yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> um, <laughs> awesome. Well, Julie, we're gonna get to our our final seven, which is the fun five, which are, is a quick set of questions. But before that, I've been giving guests the opportunity to turn the tables if they'd like. And you can ask me a question. So if you want to, fire away. This is your one chance to take control of the show. Ooh, okay. What's the most challenging thing about having a podcast? Uh, honestly, well, it's different, right? I'll answer for my podcast in particular because that's the only experience that I know how to have. Um, and I've actually I've started a second podcast, which is very different from this one, and it's only for me kind of underscored these challenges. When you do a podcast like this one, where I try, it's a guest every week, and you're trying to feature someone every week. Literally, just find like organizing it, scheduling the people is so tough because. You have to find people that are normally very busy because the kind of industries I like talking to people in, they got a lot going on. So trying to schedule that and then just researching the questions to ask, like especially someone like you, for example, you've done so much. How do I find everything and make sure that we hit all the right spots and find all the questions that people are going to want to listen to, that kind of thing. So a show like this where it's a new guest every week, it's A, booking the guests, which is uh, very tough sometimes, and then B, the research for it, for sure. Everything else, like this part, just talking, this is a breeze for me. Um, and the logistical stuff in terms of getting it online is, is also no problem. But yeah, booking and research, those are the two things that I think a lot of people don't know go into a thing like this. Have you ever been speechless? Like, has anyone ever said anything so far out of left field that you're like, oh, I don't even know how to respond to that? Well, what happens then is when I'm silent for 10 seconds, I just go in post-production and cut that out. And it sounds like I'm very profound and quick on my feet, you know? (laughs) Fix it in post. Yes, fix it Uh, in post. No, no no one's ever caught me that much (laughs) off guard. But uh, we've gotten close, I think. I can't think of any specific ones, but yeah. Well, you say you're uh, you're not safe for work or you have the the adult labeling on on your podcast what is what is the raunchiest most like r-rated thing you guys have ever talked about I, i'm very i'm very intrigued by this like that they're actually rating for yeah for well, podcasts. it's not so much, yeah well for me at least it's not so much about content so we're you know we're not having a huge like sexual uh segment or anything like that it's just people like dropping an f-bomb in to really lay in their points or you let like a shit slip or something like that. And it's more of that, just like a random curse word here or there because we try and keep it real and raw. And so it's more yeah. explicit about that, not about the actual content. Because, yeah, we never – I mean, I haven't like had a porn star on an episode or anything like that. So it's not explicit in that way. It's just explicit in the, you know, if you happen to let a curse word go, we're not going to chastise you for it. Right, you're not going to believe it. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And that way you know when you're on iTunes and you see it, you're like, oh, yeah, this is, this is for the big boys and girls. This is an adult show, so you can download with, <laughs> without fear of anything, of any censorship. Um, all right, Julie, you got three questions instead of just one, just because I like you. But we're going to end this now because it is my name in the marquee. So, uh, Go goody. <laughs> um, all right, we do close every show with the fun five. It's five quick fun questions designed for you and you alone, Julie. Feel free to spend as much or as little time on these as you would like. Uh, question number one, you've mentioned your voiceover work and you've alluded to some secret projects with uh, Murray-like sounding basketball players coming up soon. <laughs> but uh, what's one product that you've voiceovered for in the past that fans or listeners may be most surprised to know was actually your voice? KY. Oh, is that still running or is that a past one? This is where we get into that explicit section, you know, is this question right here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, okay, you want to get explicit. So there was there was one month, this is a few years ago, there was one month when I had a few different campaigns running and they were for, well, the KY one that was for the um, warming massage touch uh personal lubricant as oh, they yes. call it. I know it well. Yes. <laughs> Ew. 
I don't. I don't. I don't. Mike Janella. <laughs> and it's Lent. Is, isn't it Lent? It is Lent. Yes, it is Lent. Oh, yeah. repent. Okay. Well, I, w- I was doing the voice of KY uh, for a huge commercial campaign. And at the same time, I was also doing Yaz birth control, Trojan <laughs> condoms, and uh, carefree maxi pads. Wow, that is a murderer's row of voiceover gigs. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, awesome. Yeah. So there you go. So if you were like, oh, that sounds like Julie Alexandria, you were most likely listening to Julie Alexandria. Um, question number two, <laughs> I'm going to make you pick one. You're not going to be able to cop out of this one. If you could only cover professionally sports or entertainment for the rest of your career, which one would you do? Uh, not fair, Mike. I, can I plead the fifth? I don't no, know. No, you have I, to pick one. You know I oh, but see, sports is entertainment. Like, it's all entertainment, right? I mean, it's all entertaining. Yeah, you're turning that. this into I, a semantics I question. <laughs> I love both. I, I like to temper it. It's funny. I'll, I'll go on these runs where, like, I'll do sports for a few years, and then I'll be like, oh, I'm going to do entertainment, and I'll do entertainment for a little while. I get bored of that, and I'm like, oh, Kim Kardashian, nah. And then I want to do sports, and I'm just like, oh, it's so difficult with the grind and the schedule and the NCAA being so crooked. What? <laughs> um, and then I just want, and then I just want to go back to the other one. So it's, you know, it's like the salty sweet combination. All right, you still coughed out, but I'm gonna let you go on it. <laughs> uh, question number three: favorite Star Wars character? Oh, Salacious Crumb. Wow, you had that locked and loaded. Not even a doubt. I mean. I am the biggest Star Wars fan that I know. So, yeah, Salacious Crumb, for those of you who don't know, and Mike now I'm going to put you in that category. Do you know who Salacious Crumb is? Absolutely not. I was hoping you'd explain. Okay. Salacious Crumb, if you remember in Return of the Jedi, and first of all, people can, I know the purists like to hate on Jedi, but you know what? That's the one that I was sort of, that was my introductory Star Wars. That was my gateway drug into Star Wars as a kid. <laughs> okay. So, I loved me some Return of the Jedi on VHS tape. Um, but at Jabba's Palace, he's the little rather Jim Henson-esque Muppet that sits at the tail of uh, Jabba's throne who has that really annoying ah, laugh. Oh, okay. I can't even do it. But that's, uh, yeah, he looks like a character out of like the Dark Crystal or something. But he's, <laughs> yeah, he's very uh, Henson-esque, as I said. Um, but he, he was always just a fun, funny little uh, character, but as far as human characters and not a uh, droid or puppet, uh, I would go with Han Solo. He's a badass. He's a scoundrel, and he shot first. Yeah, of course. He always he will always shoot first, no matter how many re-digital editions get get made. Uh, question number yeah. four: uh, You've dealt with and crossed paths with and interviewed with so many celebrities, both in sports and movies and music and and everything. Who's the one that you wish you were best friends with? That you just had like a five-minute interview or something and you thought, man, this person and I would really get along. I wish we could hang out more. Who would it be? Hmm. Oh, man. Um, on the sports side? Any side. Archie just Griffin. Anyone. You uh, just well, looking for one. I'll give you a sports and I'll give you an entertainment. On the sports side, Archie Griffin. Two-time Heisman winner. Awesome, man. Awesome human being. Awesome energy, smart man, interesting, and so kind. Like, if you're ever in his presence, you feel like you are the only person in the room as he talks to you. I mean, he he just has such sort of an ethereal, <laughs> I'm like pumping him up here, but like just this sort of ethereal glow about him. And, and he is something to aspire to, just an incredible person. Um, Entertainment-wise... Rob Reiner. Now, I know that's random. One of the smartest, most talented. I mean, he's a director. He's an actor. He's a writer. He's a comedian. Rob Reiner. You really... Absolutely tr- phenomenal. You, the dire- you, tr- yeah, you, trended, right. you trended old with both of your picks. I did. Well, you know what? I, I just... I, I have so much respect for people who have been in either industry for a long time and who have managed to stay sane and stay good because it is so easy not to. And, and those two, 
humans are are just incredible people. And I interviewed Rob Reiner um, and obviously Princess Bride, one of my favorite all time movies, and he was the director. Yeah. Um, and uh, I interviewed him on the set of uh, one of his films, and he we ended up just talking for about an hour after the camera stopped rolling. And he he directs a lot of what people would call chick flips, mm-hmm. but he just understands people and humanity so well. So I've never I've never met someone who had that level of of understanding, or, or as we would say, a, a woke bay. <laughs> Rob Reiner yep. is Julie Alexandria's woke bay. That's He's the takeaway from this whole podcast. Yeah, oh, that's true. great. Um, all right, Julie, uh, you got to run. So, it's our last question here, number five. Again, I'm putting you on the spot, and again, I'm sure you'll find some way to slither out of it. Uh, if you could, if you had to give up San Diego Mexican food or New York City pizza for the rest of your life, which one would you sacrifice to never have again? Oh, man. Or I guess which uh, one would you choose to keep, I guess, is the more important question. San Diego Mexican food. Really? I, wow. I, yeah. I I live off of chips and salsa. Like, it, like it's a problem. I, It's kind of my favorite meal. I know, I know that sounds weird, but, like, tortilla chips and homemade salsa or, like, organic, really well-made salsa is just kind of amazing and so simple. Um, I love Mexican food, and it is the one thing, and you can attest to this, that is missing from New York, because no matter how hard New York tries to create Mexican food, whether it be taco truck style or just some high-end, you know, Mexican fusion, mm. it's not it's not good. Uh, let's just be real. Um, it's so simple and so good here in San Diego. I, I'm sorry, New York. I love you, and I'm always in your state of mind, but um, yeah, I'm going to go with the Mexican food. There you go. You, see, you took a stand. I like that. We, we made a, dec- a decisive choice on that last question. Um, Julie, thanks so much. This was awesome. Uh, let people know where they can find you on social media or online or anywhere else or anything else you want to plug. Yes, sure thing. You can follow uh, all of my adventures, uh, my bicoastal um, adventures, um, at Julie Alexandria on Twitter. And Alexandria as in Alexandria, Virginia, or Egypt, or the library at. Um, or you can find me on Instagram at JulieAlexandria00. And don't go. do Facebook. It's like we're so over Facebook, right? Does anybody do Facebook anymore? Don't even, I don't even check my messages on that, so don't even, I think don't even think about it. I think it's making a comeback, but yeah, don't even bother Julie there. You can find her on Twitter yeah. and Instagram instead, much, much more reflective yeah. of our times. Uh, Julie, thank you so much again. Uh, stay on the line because uh, we'll wrap up off the air once I hit uh, stop here on the record button. But I really appreciate it. And yeah, next time you're back in New York, hopefully it'll be a little bit warmer and uh, I can go eat some pizza while you try the bad Mexican food here since you gave up our pizza forever. <laughs> sounds amazing alright she's Julie Alexandra make sure to visit MikeJanella.com for all previous episodes of this show I'll have links to all of Julie's stuff so you can find it in case for whatever reason you couldn't jot it down yourself you can also find out where to subscribe to us and download and like and everything iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher all that stuff make sure to give us all the 5 star reviews possible Julie thank you so much again we'll talk to you soon Thanks so much. Thanks to you guys for listening. We will try and do better next time. See ya.